Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Kinda Opinionated Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Sharon, and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Whitehead. He is currently running to become Kootenai County Sheriff. Well, thank you for being on my podcast today. Thanks for having me. Um, how's your day going? Very good, very busy. That's good to hear. Well, today we're going to be talking about a couple of topics which I think are very, very, uh, sorry, very relevant in our communities right now. If that's okay with you. Absolutely. Okay, let's get started then. Okay. Let me get my note sheet. Recently, you had a couple of immigration resettlement town halls, but less than 1% of the Idaho population is a refugee, uh, according to the National Immigration Forum. So my question is, what's your goal with these town halls? And is there a difference between a refugee and an immigrant, in your opinion? Yes, there is. A refugee is someone that our country is trying to, or basically forcibly rehousing into our country to give them a safe environment. An immigrant is somebody that's immigrating into our country, following the processes, doing the assimilation versus a forced relocation more or less. Uh, My goal with the town hall Mm -hmm. is one, to hear from everybody else that's concerned about it and two, to get our county commissioners to pass a proclamation or an ordinance stating that we are not suited for refugees and not to agree to receive any. So, so uh, even if they're legal refugees, you don't think they should be allowed in Idaho? Or legal immigrants? No, legal immigrants, absolutely. Somebody immigrating into this country wants to assimilate into this country, absolutely. They can go anywhere in the United States they want to go. Mm-hmm. But the immigrants that they're, or not the immigrants, the refugees that they're bringing in currently from Syria, the Kurds, have a different belief system than ours. They're not wanting to immigrate into our country. They're being placed here, and their belief systems are polar opposite of ours and is not a good fit, as witnessed in Minnesota, uh, Dearborn, Michigan, where the, uh, I just drew a blank on the, the ideology, but anyway, the, the Muslim, the Islam. Quran does not oh. fit with our Constitution. They're polar opposite. So, um, what I'm, so your goal is to warn the people about the refugees that might be coming here. Well, the county has to ask the state to receive them, mm-hmm. and. As a whole, the citizens don't want that to happen, so it's just expressing those views to the commissioners. I see. Okay, moving on to another question. Uh, why do you want to be a sheriff? I mean, why do you want to be the county sheriff? Well, I never aspired to it, although my career leads me to it. I've been in public service since I was 18 years old, three years in the Army as a military policeman, five and a half years as a policeman in a suburb of Houston and then the next 25 years at a sheriff's department in Texas. I promoted up through the rank of captain there. I've led hundreds of personnel, managed $80 million budgets. During that time, I also started a training company. I train law enforcement, and my company has an international reach. When I semi-retired in 2010 and moved to Idaho, uh, was to run my training company, which is what I do now. I was in Little Rock, Arkansas last week, and I'll be in Washington next week teaching. From my training, several area law enforcement approached me to run for sheriff, that it's with the growth in the county and the changes 
that are coming to this county. They wanted somebody with a broader perspective and a, you know, different ideas. About two and a half years ago, I just felt really impressed to do more than I was doing with my training company. Yeah. And I had coffee with the current sheriff and he said he wasn't running again. And that's when the light went off in my head that this is where my skills and knowledge is best suited. So that's when I decided I was going to run for sheriff. So did he move here because you wanted to run for sheriff? Absolutely or? not. I moved here because this is God's country and it was a great place to retire to. And running for sheriff didn't come on the radar until about two and a half years ago. So how do you respond to um, Mr. Grimm's uh, slogan, keep it Idaho? Do you think uh, it's, what, what do you, how do you feel about that? Well, Mr. Grimm's not from Idaho either. So his slogan's kind of ingenuous. He's only been here a couple of years longer than I have. I really? moved here in 2011. I think he moved here in seven or eight or something like that. He's only been here a couple of years longer than me. So his, his slogan's rather disingenuous. Um, moving on to another question. What sets you apart from the other candidates running to become sheriff? The breadth and depth of my experience. The struggles that Kootenai County faces today, the attrition, the poor morale within the sheriff's office, the condition of the sheriff's office, and the compounding growth that the county is going through at the time. I have lived and worked through those issues already in the sheriff's department I came from, and actually it was an integral part of dealing with those issues and won two leadership awards in solving the problems Kootenai County faces today. One statewide leadership award and one from my agency. So I'm the only candidate in this race that has a proven track record of success in solving the issues that Kootenai County faces today. So so I'm, I'm assuming that more, um, more experience is probably uh, what makes a good sheriff. Um, However, I heard that another good thing that matters about being sheriff is your uh, character. And um, I don't know. Do you have a good character? I'm assuming you do. I mean, I, yeah. Well, I've had some struggles in my personal life. Uh, law enforcement's not an easy profession for families. So I've been married more than one time. Um, although while I've had personal struggles, I've had a stellar career. And it's while experience is very, very important, that's not all there is to it. Is it. As employees, the employees need to feel valued. Employees will put up a, with a lot if they feel like they're valued. And that is one of my tenets of my leadership is if you're an employee, mm -hmm. anytime you don't feel like you're the number one asset in the agency, then we're doing our job wrong. So um, moving on to my next question, if you don't mind, uh, why should normal people and teenagers who are good citizens and law-abiding be interested in the, uh, in the county sheriff election? Because the sheriff has countywide jurisdiction. The cities just have jurisdiction within their cities. The county, the sheriff has countywide jurisdiction. The sheriff is responsible for the jail, which services all the other jurisdictions within the county. But looking at this question, I want to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. How do you feel and people of your age group feel about law enforcement in general? Do you feel comfortable approaching them? Are they are you kind of standoffish? Uh, what's what's your generation? How do you feel about it? Uh, thanks for asking. Um, uh, this is a tough question. Let's see. I, I feel like if a police officer asked me, like, um, 
I don't know, if I was doing something wrong and they were like, stop it, I'd, I'd stop. But, I mean, I guess if it's like, like, eight, I don't know, because, because sometimes, like, I don't know, I'm going to use this as an example, maybe this is just out of the blue, but we went to the store, and um, my parents, we, we were leaving, and um, the police officer, whoever it was, asked us if, um, if we were with somebody because they thought we stole the stuff that was in the bag, even though it was in like a bag and we had the receipt. And I don't know if that's like, and, and I was like, oh, okay. And then I show, and then my mom was there and they were like, oh, you can go, which is kind of weird to me. I, I don't know. I don't, so I think if I was doing something wrong, I would be like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Sure. Here we go. But I'm not standoffish about police officers. I think that they're doing their job and um, we should respect that. But when police officers aren't doing their job correctly and they're discriminating or doing something along those lines, I don't think it's, um, I don't think we should continue having those kinds of people. Correct. Do you feel that they are standoffish as a whole? Like the police officers? Yes. Mm, what do you mean by standoffish? Well, in, in my day, when I was your age, mm -hmm. police officers were an everyday part of the community, much like, and you, you may not even be familiar with this, the Andy Mayberry Show. What's that? Sorry. Andy Griffith. <laughs> your, your mom will know, but okay. It's when, you know, the your county sheriff and your police were part of the community and everybody knew everybody and everybody knew their officers and the officers knew the people. And when I was a kid, walking up to policemen or talking to policemen was just no big deal. Mm -hmm. Today, there seems to be a gap of kind of an us versus them. And I want to erase that gap. I look at the sheriff's department as the employees of the sheriff's department, especially the patrol deputies, because that's the visual part of the sheriff's office, as being ambassadors to the county. That for anybody's need in the county, a resident, visitor, anybody, that they could approach, feel free to approach a sheriff's deputy to handle whatever their issue is. Maybe, you know, you've you live on a county road and you've had a pothole that's been ignored for years. And so, you, you know, who do I talk to to get this fixed? And the deputy says, well, I'll call them for you. I'll get it fixed for you. Ambassadors to the county. It's not all about how many people you can put in jail and how many tickets you can write. There are times to put people in jail and there are times for tickets, but that's not all of it. That's not all of it. So to, in, to answer your question, I, I don't know. I think some police officers are... Um, standoffish and they don't really want to talk but some are very um nice and very community uh community what community oriented yes um a lot of them some of them are like that but i feel like there is um, a big gap between uh the community and the police officers um not that the police officers aren't a part of the community but when they are in duty i feel like that um the community and the citizens might feel like they need to um I, they need to be good around them. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but they, they need to be nice to them or they might get a rest. I don't know. I, I don't know. What I want you to feel when you're, when you see a police car behind you, a sheriff's deputy car behind you, that it's just a deputy, it's no big deal, versus the default response of, uh-oh, what did I do? Mm. So more of a, oh, well, if they're going to pull me over, I'm going to just explain to them instead of trying to um, trying to be all nervous and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I support that. Um, but I don't think, I think some are standoffish and some aren't. So. My goal would be that none would be standoffish. Well, I support that.
Um, so a question that seems to be unfortunately, uh, be consistently relevant um, is suicide. In 2019, Idaho was the fifth highest suicide rate, 58% higher than the national average. Do you think there's a direct answer to why Idaho's rate is so high? I do not. Um, I thought about that quite a bit. And I think the suicide rate today is higher in general because of the cyber bullying and things like that that um, goes on. And a lot of kids aren't raised to, you know, the old theory of sticks and stones will break your bones, but words won't hurt you yeah. is not so true anymore. And there's a lot of that, you know, going on that contributes to the suicide rate. I think another component of it, but that's, but the other component I, I think of is not isolated to Idaho. It's, you know, the long winters and the dark and, you know, the, you know, can't get outside the depression that comes with that. But I, that's not an exclusive Idaho thing. So why do you think it's so big here? I mean, I, I understand that what you're saying about like social media and cyberbullying, but why is it, in your opinion, why is it so big here? Like, why is it, why are we fit? And that is a million dollar question. I don't have the answer to you. I don't know. It's. Do you, so do you think that I, I was talking to on my last podcast, which I interviewed, um, Mr. Grimm, um, I, I asked him if he felt like, um, that we should start asking young people and believing them instead of, um, saying, uh, instead of saying, talking to like adults talking to other adults about teenagers problems and kids problems and not uh, diversing I'm um, is that the right word or communicating with the teenagers and the kids about how they're feeling and uh, to break the little bubble of between adult and adult talking about the problems that the kids and the teenagers are having do you think that that we should start serving serving ah can't say surveying these um, young adults and these um, teenagers and these kids about how they're feeling instead of just having um, talks between adults and adults. Absolutely. Communication is always good. And if you can, through anonymous uh, surveys and things like that, get some of the, the whys and the how comes answered, that would be phenomenal. As you were talking, I thought of another part of the answer to the question is uh, you heard my phone chirp a minute ago because I forgot to silence it before we walked in. Mm -hmm. But I think people have become so consumed with their devices that parents even kind of can get lost in that and isolate the kids or, you know, not give them the attention, you know, they should be giving them and things like that. So I think it's a, you know, there's multiple aspects to this problem. Okay. But asking that survey that you mentioned would be phenomenal because you would get those answers are, you know, my mom and dad are looking at their phones all the time. They're not talking to me. Yeah. And a lot of times, well, sometimes we do have those surveys, and a lot of kids have answered those, those surveys. But then adults feel like it's, un, or these big people who are, like, doing, putting on these surveys feel like, oh, that's kind of an uncomfortable answer, and we don't want to hear it. So, and that's what I've been hearing. So, if... If you were county sheriff, do you think there's any way that you could help this situation? Yes. Just the knowledge of, you know, the deputies having the answer to those surveys, just having that knowledge would be beneficial. 
kind of back to breaking down those barriers we talked about a while ago, knowing that, you know, there's a segment of youth out there, people out there that are feeling this way because of these things and knowing that up front. Yeah. Well, on to uh, moving on to a different question, and thanks for your answer. Uh, what do you think the biggest issue in our community, uh, in our county, in our and in our communities inside the county is? Like, what's the biggest issue? It's kind of a twofold answer. One is the compounding growth we're going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, our population growth is growing three plus percent a year. Our jobs are growing less than one percent a year. So most of what's moving here is retirement age, and that's why I moved here. So that the compounding growth, and with that growth comes increased crime, traffic, and other associated issues. So keeping up with that on the local level is huge. The second part of that, and the reason I said it's twofold, is because the Sheriff's Department has been neglected for what seems to be decades and is way behind the curve on staffing both on the deputy level and in the jail the detention side of the house, it would probably surprise you that any given day in this county, there's only four deputies working the streets of the whole county. Really? And one call, one good call, or two, you know, disturbance calls, now you have nobody working the county. And you can't prevent crime if you're you're not out patrolling the streets. Yeah. Well, can I ask you a question? you said that, and I think it is a big issue, that we're seeing a lot of growth in the population of people of retirement ages. Um, and not to bring back the refugee thing, but, well, kind of to bring back the refugee thing. Um, if we were to ban or not, like, allow refugees in, why aren't we not allowing retirement age people into our state and not allowing these refugees who have or, or who are trying to go to college and who are trying to make businesses? Well, I think you're kind of mixing up refugees versus immigrants. If they're immigrating into this country to go to college and go to and start businesses, I have zero problem with immigration, with legal immigration. The refugees are not migrating in. They're being just brought in and housed here to a culture that's completely foreign to them and, and having to adapt to that which is a financial drain on any of the governments in the area in which they're placed. So is the government, who's, who's housing them? Is the government housing them? They're getting government benefits like o- over and above mm-hmm. what people on Social Security are getting. So if I was 10, more, if I was 10 years older, the benefits I would draw from Social Security are not the same benefits they would get just because they're a forced refugee, which is I've paid into the Social Security system. They haven't paid into the system, but they're being funded off of it. So the, the government's got some issues to work out on, on doing that. I think what they should do with the refugees mm-hmm. is, and I'm all about, you know, the United States being the, you know, one of the strongest countries in the world, if not the strongest. If we're going to help them in their country, where they're helping them in their country, instead of dislocating them from their country and sticking them in a culture that's foreign to them, help them there. If the situation they're in is dangerous there, then find another area close to where they already live, even if it's in another country or another region close to them, but they're still in their general region of their of the world, 
and assist in their housing there, that's still going to be cheaper than transporting them here and sticking them in a culture that's foreign to them. With a lot of these refugees, I thought that they were coming in um, because it was a dangerous situation from where they were from, and they're coming into um, America to get away from those dangerous um, situations. How do you feel about like world relief? And that's a um, that's a refugee like saying to help refugees get into America. I think um, they're just like helping refugees in general. How? Do you know about World Relief? Some, and to answer your question, like the, what's going on at our southern border now, there's people fleeing one country and traveling all the way through another country that is not hazardous to them to get to our country and then ask for asylum in our country. That is a violation of how the process is supposed to work. Once they exited their country and into Mexico, mm-hmm. they're supposed to seek asylum there. If they've left their country into Mexico, now they're no longer in the threat of their country, which is what they're claiming, instead of traversing all the way across another country to get to ours. So it's there's a misapplication of the system. So onto your second fold of the answer that we were talking about, and you said that the WD position has been um, kind of like pushed away or just like um, ignored, right? The WD the deputy oh, okay. uh, has been ignored, right? Isn't yeah. that what you were saying? So what's an example? Because um, when I was listening to it, um, I, I don't know a lot about the deputy position, but um, I could, what's a good example that you could give to the uh, listeners? Or yeah, The standard general ratio for officer to citizen is one and a half to two per thousand. Mm-hmm. So if Kootenai County has 160,000 people in it, you remove half of that to living in cities, that leaves 80,000. That means there should be 120 deputies servicing mm-hmm. that 80,000 mm-hmm. at a minimum, if not 160. And there's not anywhere close to that. So if you were county sheriff, you would, um, how, how would you fix that issue? Or how would you try to stop that issue from happening? Well, it's an educational process, and this is what I did in Texas that I was talking about earlier on my successful track record. The first part of that, because we were had the same thing going on in Texas at the time, that was a at least a twofold solution, if not more. The first part of that was having conversations and developing relationships with the Board of County Commissioners so they could understand the plight of the deputies mm-hmm. and so we could understand and you know we understand there's only so, there's only so many county dollars and so having a relationship to understand here's your problem here's my problem how do we work it together and then doing the same same thing with the citizens having a countywide educational process whether it's through town halls or on the internet or a combination of a lot of different things having the same conversation with the different citizens groups on here's the current status of the sheriff's office and here's where we need to be mm-hmm. and it's not an overnight fix nobody can afford to it for it to be an overnight fix but here's where we need to start moving and getting the citizens to understand that and get them on board with the sheriff's office to convince the county commissioners to properly fund the sheriff's office it takes it, it takes all the citizens to back up the sheriff to, yeah. to do that mm-hmm. it's not a the sheriff can't do that by itself. So. 
So you need a group of people to help do that. The citizens need to be educated and then agree Mm -hmm. and then tell their elected officials, this is what you need to do. So um, moving on to another question. Uh, Recent studies show that a human brain stops developing between the ages of 23 and 35. In in Idaho, you can own an assault weapon at 18. Is this the appropriate age to own an assault weapon, in your opinion? Well, let me back up a little bit. The 18 to 35, I don't necessarily agree with that because I I subscribe to the philosophy of you can always teach an old dog a new trick. So I like to think I'm still learning, and I'm well past that 35 mark. Well, Uh, when you – what I was saying was that your brain becomes like – it becomes like you can teach, you can like learn new things. It just stops developing. Okay. And back to the 18 part. First off, on assault weapons, mm-hmm. that's a, a misnomer that the media is placed on weapons of different calibers that they don't like or different makes that they don't like. For example, the AR 15, they mm-hmm. like to call an assault rifle. Well, the AR doesn't stand for assault rifle. It's, oh, I just lost the blank of what it stands for. Uh, armor, armor Light Rifle, I think, is the name of it, not Assault Rifle. But they've given them tag names. And what I like to tell people is I own several weapons, and they've never assaulted anybody. To your answer of 18 years old, mm-hmm. that would depend. You can go in the military at 18 years old, yeah, and the military will train you on how to use that weapon. So if you've been trained in the use of a weapon at 18 years old, then, yes, you should... You should yeah. be able to carry one or have one. If you, it all comes back to the training. You can't drive a car without being going through driver's ed. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same theory. So, do you think there should be more? Because there, there's a lot of people who do go through these. Um, tri- some people don't go through gun safety, but some people do, and still some people are unsafe with guns. Do you think that gun safety should be a requirement? And if so, do you think it should be more? Um, more proficient if somebody's wanting to carry a gun yes they should be trained and show proficiency regularly okay um on to the this is the deal breaker question okay Okay. this is the question that you will lose if if you don't answer this correctly you will you might lose all of your voters okay? okay what's your favorite type of pizza and do you think pineapple belongs on pizza my favorite pizza is the Supreme, minus the little fishies. I can't stand them. <laughs> and most Supremes don't have those. Anchovies, that what they call them? I can't do anchovies. No, oh, anchovies. But I like, I like the Supreme thin crust. I like the thin, crunchy crust. I don't, when I eat a pizza, I don't want the thick crust. I don't want all bread. I want thin crust, and I want the all the good toppings. Yeah. As far as pineapple, when they first started doing that, however long ago, probably before your time, I thought that was insane. But I have a little brother that back then was running a pizza restaurant, and I gave him all sorts of grief about pineapple on a pizza. Are you insane? I love pineapple, but the last place I'd expect to see it was on a pizza. And I finally, you know, I I try to keep an open mind. So I, at his urging, I finally had a, a Hawaiian pizza, and hey, it works. Look at that. So I think you just like won the election, right? <laughs> you just you just got it. You, the pine that was the correct answer. Okay. Good job. Well, uh, thank you for being on my podcast today. Uh, we had a. I feel like we had a nice conversation. 
I, I very much appreciate it. I'm honored to be here. Um, and thank you guys for listening to the Kinda Opinionated Podcast. Tune in next time, probably to see another uh, county sheriff candidate. Um, yeah, thank you for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.